All right, good morning, Summer Point Church. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, for Super Bowl snacks, how many people said pizza? So in the first service, people said pizza, and I was thinking, is that really a snack? Like, do you snack on pizza, or is that like a meal? I don't know. There's pizza, wings, anybody likes that? just the classic chips and salsa, you know, stuff like that. All right, all right, cool. Well, thanks for joining us today. I'm curious, how many people do we have here uh, going for the Chiefs this morning? All right, all right. How many people do we have going for uh, the Eagles? So a couple. Who's rooting for the commercials? Some people, I don't know. The commercials have been a little rough uh, the past few years, I feel like. It just, they haven't been as good, you know. Um, last service, I said, I said that same thing. I said the commercials hasn't been as good, and I got an amen out of that over there somewhere. <laughs> so I was like, all right, first amen of the day, great. Um, so this morning, we're looking at the Word of God, and every week we come here, we read from the Word of God, we hear from the Word of God. And I hope that during your time throughout the week, Monday through Saturday as well, you have time to spend time with the Lord and hear from His Word as He speaks to you from it. But every time that we approach God's word, we can approach it in a lot of different ways. Jesus illustrated for us what this looks like in a story. He said a sower went out to sow. And this sower was just throwing out seed everywhere. And some of this seed fell along the pathway that the sower was walking on. And he said since this seed fell on the pathway, the birds came and they snatched away the seed. And Jesus said this represents the people who hear the word... But then the devil comes and snatches away the truth that was sown in their hearts. The sower continues to throw out his seed and some of the seed falls along the ground where it's a little bit more rocky. And so the seed immediately spurts up and it grows. But since there's rocky ground underneath, the roots don't go very deep. And the plant withers away when the scorching sun comes out. And Jesus says, these are the people who hear the word and immediately receive it with joy. There's some sort of emotional response, but then when the trials and tribulations of life come, their faith withers away. Some of the seed fell along the, path, uh, along the, the area where there were thorns in the ground. And the seed grew up to a plant, but since there were thorns there, the thorns choked the plant and it did not bear fruit. And Jesus said, these are the people who hear the word, but then they get distracted by the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, the trends of our culture. And they proved to be unfruitful. But some people, Jesus said, are the good soil. And the sower throws a seed and it lands on this good soil. And these are the people who hear the word and they understand it. And they bear much fruit. Hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. This morning we are not actually going to be in Matthew 13, which is where Jesus tells that story. This morning we're actually going to be in Romans chapter 3. But the reason why I bring up that story this morning is because we are talking about something that I think oftentimes people don't understand. And there may be different reasons why people don't understand this topic. It could be pride, it could be something else, I don't know. But people don't understand what we're talking about, which is justification by faith alone. And what that means. That we can be justified, that means to be made right before God. To be declared righteous. Our sin puts us in wrong standing with God because we've sinned, we've disobeyed Him, we've fallen away from Him. And so we need to be justified or declared righteous before God to be made right with Him. That's what we have to do to get from this bad place and the wrong with God to be made 
right with God. But when people hear that we can be justified by our faith alone in Christ alone, that usually doesn't fall on the good soil for different reasons. Sometimes people hear uh, that they can be justified by faith in Christ and it falls along the path and they've been so indoctrinated with some religious system that tells them that they have to be good enough for God to love them or they have to be good enough or their works contribute something to their salvation. They're so indoctrinated in this way that the devil comes and snatches away the word that is sown in their hearts. Some people... The seed falls along the rocky ground, and they're like, oh, I can be justified by faith in Christ. And they immediately are, are joyful about this, but then trials and tribulations come in their life, and their faith withers away because it was not really rooted in the first place. And some people hear about the faith that we have in Jesus and how beautiful this thing really is and how it saves us, it puts us in the right with God. And then they start to grow, but... They get distracted by the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of the world, the trends of the culture, and they don't bear fruit in their faith walk with Jesus. But for some people, the seed falls on the good soil, and they really understand what it means to be justified by faith in Christ. And it causes them to see the goodness of the gospel, how gracious God really is, how amazing the gospel really is. They hear it, they understand it. And it changes their life. So this morning, which one will you be? The topic of justification by faith, I would say, is arguably the number one reason why people don't become Christians. And my proof for that is that you look at every other religion in the entire world that people can choose from other than Christianity. And all those religions teach pretty much the same thing in this way. They teach that you do something to please God. You do something to get to where you want to be. But justification by faith in the Christian faith means God did something for you to be justified. And you just put your faith in what he did for you. So which seed will you be this morning? As we're looking at Romans 3, in the context leading up to this, the Apostle Paul, the author here, has been talking about Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks, and that's just the Bible's way of saying everybody. There's Jews and then there's everybody else, which is Gentiles. So when the Bible says Jews and Gentiles, it just means everyone in the entire world. And he's talking about how Jews had the law of Moses written down. They had this divine revelation from God as the chosen people of God, where God gave them his law, and they could not keep it. The Gentiles, in Romans 2, it says that they had the law of God written on their hearts. Although they didn't have the written law of God, everyone has a moral conscience and that's the law of God written on our hearts. And the Gentiles could not keep that law. So both Jew and Gentiles could not keep any law. And they fell and they sinned. So they were called under sin. Everyone is under sin. Jew and Gentile. And needs to be justified. Need to be declared righteous before God. Our sin makes us unrighteous. We need to be justified and declared righteous. So how can we do that? That's what Romans chapter 3 is about. It's about solving the greatest problem that we face as humans. How can we be justified before God when we are sinners? Today, I am going to share the worst news you've ever heard. To be honest with you. And then, I'm going to share the best news that you could ever hear. But don't tune me out until the good part. 
Because if you do that, if you don't hear the bad news and process it and understand it, then the good news isn't really going to be good news to you. And so this morning, as we're looking at the Word of God, let's see what the good news of the gospel is. But first, let's understand what the bad news is. I want to illustrate this text and this scenario in a metaphorical way. I want you to start to imagine that you are in prison. So you got your orange jumpsuit on and you're in your prison cell. And the guard comes up to your door and says, it's time to go to court today. And this is a day that you've been expecting for some time. It's judgment day. Now in this metaphorical story, this judgment day is not meant to describe our future judgment day in the afterlife where God separates the sheep from the goats and, and what all that means. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. What we're talking about is what is our standing before God right now on this earth, okay? That's what this is representing. Because right now on this earth, we have sinned. And right now on this earth, we are dealing with consequences of sin. Is everything perfect in our world? No. So we're dealing with consequences of sin right now. So you're in your prison cell. This is judgment day. It's, it's been coming for some time. And he comes and he says, it's time to go to court. And so you put on your court clothes and they put those the shackles, the handcuffs on you, they put them around your feet and you're just kind of trudging down the hallway and everyone's peeking through their prison windows, their bars and saying, good luck, I hope you make it. And perhaps you've been dreading this day or perhaps you have a naive hopefulness that you'll be fine. You get into the car, you drive to the court, you walk down the hallway and you sit down by yourself because you've chosen to represent yourself. Now every time in like a, I don't care if it's, it could be a lawyer show or just some sort of cop show. And the, they just start talking to the cops without a lawyer and they choose to represent themselves. I always think, why are you so stupid? Right? Why would you choose to represent yourself? That's not usually the smart choice. But so often... You know, what we're talking about this morning isn't the American court. We're talking about standing before God, our judge. So often people choose to represent themselves before God. And so, like many, you have chosen to represent yourself on your own merits, on what you have done. The judge is God. He is a just judge who must punish iniquity. He is just. His law is perfect. And he has set the standard of goodness and perfection. The prosecutor who got assigned your case, he walks in and he's brutal. He's got this scowl. He, he's, he hardly ever loses. He's this cocky lawyer. He's got this rich looking suit on. He is known as the great accuser. He has all the facts. And many have fallen to him. The great accuser, it's his turn as the prosecutor to speak, and he calls for you to be a witness, and he puts you on the stand. And this is his case against you, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. This is what he says. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. 
Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, this is not just talking about the people that we think are really bad. This is talking about everyone, everyone. It says, no one is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks God. You look at the verse before, in verse 9, it says, all, both Jews and Greeks, that's the Bible's way of saying everyone, are under sin. First point this morning is I'm guilty of sin. The prosecutor puts you on the stand and he quotes from the word of God. There are many verses here from the Old Testament that he's using to back up his case against you before God. He's using the word of God and it's true. He puts you on the stand and he says, you are not righteous because no one is righteous. You've broken God's law. You have not met God's perfect and just standard to be in his presence. No one understands the word of God. The seed has fallen again and again on the path and on the rocky ground and on the soil where the thorns choke up the word. No one understands. No one seeks God. The prosecutor accuses you. He says, you did not seek God. You sought your own ways. You sought your own path. You went your own way and rejected the good path that God had for you in your life. And as we're talking about this, I want to encourage you guys to think about your own life. You are the one on the stand today. You are the one who is being judged. The prosecution continues. He says, you didn't seek God, you sought your own ways. You rejected the path of God, pursued the path of sin. You had apathy to spiritual matters. Even though you knew God existed, maybe you say, I believe in God. You lived as if God didn't exist. And you lived in your heart, believed in your heart on the inside, on the outside as if God didn't exist. You did not love the Lord your God with all your heart, might, mind, and strength. You did not perfectly love your neighbor as yourself. It says, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. You have turned aside from the Lord. Like a sheep that went astray from the good shepherd, God is your good shepherd. But you ran away from him. You ran away from the place of safety to the place of destruction. All we like sheep have gone astray. At this point, on the witness stand, you turn to your right and you see the judge. And you see that everything you've done has broken his heart. It has separated you from him. And it's not just a small separation, although he is sitting right next to you, you know spiritually you are miles and miles in eternity apart from him. As the prosecutor is spewing out accusations, all of which are true, you begin to realize how badly you have sinned and you begin to feel remorse. And the prosecution continues. He says, you turn to worthless things to satisfy you when you were meant to be satisfied by the riches of God's love for you. Because you filled yourself up with worthless things, you made your life into something that was worthless. You became worthless. Although you may think you did good things in your life, there is no one who does good, not even one. 
Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of our righteousness is as a filthy rag. Everything we touch because of our sin has been stained by sin. Even our righteousness, our good deeds are stained by sin when we put them before God. There is no one who does good. The great accuser says, you are a liar. You have caused yourself and others ruin and misery. You do not fear God or love God. You live for yourself. You didn't know the way of peace. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And the prosecutor turns and asks the judge, who knows all things, and says, is this true of this person, of you? And the judge says, Brokenhearted judge says, yes, this is true. The prosecution turns to you, and at this point, you're broken down. And you see how badly you've messed up. And he turns to you and he asks, is this true? Have you broken God's law? Between tears, you admit, yes, I have. But then you pull out what you think will help you. You think, the judge knows my intentions. The judge knows, God knows that I tried to follow him, and God knows that I tried to be a genuinely good person and go to church and serve and tithe and do all the right things. He, he knows my intentions. Then the prosecution responds to you, and this is what he says. Now we know, in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The, pro- the prosecution is saying, your goodness doesn't help you. The word of God is saying, your goodness doesn't help you. He says, you have to be held accountable for what you've done. You can jabber on about how good you've been in your life. But since you are under the law... Your mouth must be stopped and you have to be held accountable to God for what you have done. Because you have broken it. Your works do not justify you or add a single iota of favor for you in the eyes of God. The prosecution concludes his statement by asking you, do you know that you are a sinner? Are you guilty of sin? Do you know that you have Broken the law. Has the law revealed, like it says in verse 20, has the law given you the knowledge of your sin and showed you how broken you really are and how you are guilty? You say, yes, I am guilty. The prosecution rests. As you go from the witness stand back to your seat, you're shaking. You're shaking because you've had maybe some kind of naive uh, expectation that this day wouldn't go as bad as it's going right now for you. But your eternity is at stake here. And you're going back to your seat and you sit back down by yourself and you're shaking and you feel hopeless. You're like, what am I going to do? And then someone in the front row of the audience taps you on the shoulder. By the way, oikos. Front row of your life. That's what your oikos is. Someone on the front row taps you on the shoulder, perhaps someone you know, and they say, I used to be exactly where you are. Then I met this defense attorney who has never lost. Do you want to meet him? 
And for a moment, you think to yourself, how can I trust someone that much? I've always planned to represent myself in this situation. How can I trust someone else to represent me? I've always planned on representing myself. I felt confident in myself. How can I trust someone with that? But then you look at your situation. You look at the law of God. You look at the truth of what the prosecution has actually said. And what he's accused you of. And you admitted your guilt before the judge. And you think, what other hope do I have? There is no other way. And the back doors of the courtroom open and a man walks down the aisle. And you can see nails in both of his hands where he was nailed to a cross for you. You can see holes in his hands where he was nailed to a cross for you. And he comes and he sits down next to you and he tells you who he is and what he's done for you. And he asks you a really important question that determines your justification before God. Your eternal destiny. He asks you, do you trust in me to represent you? Do you trust in me to represent you? This whole time you've planned on representing yourself, but now you have an opportunity to trust in him to represent you. And you say, I do. And the moment that you do that, the moment that those words come out of your mouth, your hopelessness is replaced with hope. Your sorrow is replaced with joy because you know spiritually you have gone from death to life. You have gone from shame to glory. You have gone from hopeless to hopeful because now you have someone to represent you. The only one who could represent you before God. Your defense attorney stands up and says, I know my client has broken the law. I know that they are guilty. They admitted it. And I know that everything that they have done cannot merit their justification in any way, shape, or form. Cannot add anything to it. But, but, Romans 3.21. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here's the point. God made a way for sinners to have his righteousness. Your righteousness didn't make the cut. God made a way for you to have his righteousness. You were judged by what you did and you failed the test. But now the righteousness of God is manifest apart from the law. This means that God's righteousness is revealed to you, is given to you apart from what you failed to do. Which is keep the law. The law and prophets prophesied of this and bore witness to this long before. 
You are a witness that you failed at being righteous. And I hope if you are truly the good soil this morning, you have been a witness that you have failed at being righteous. But now you can be a witness that where you failed at being righteous, Jesus succeeded on your behalf. Before you were being judged by what you did, but now you are being judged by the merits of the one who represents you. Christ asks you before the judge, do you have faith in me? You say, yes. He asks, why must you have faith in me? Why not have some faith in me, some faith in yourself? You respond, if I have any faith in myself, if I have any faith in any works, if I have any faith in any other God, any other religious system, any other philosophy, any other form of enlightenment, if I have faith in anything but you, then I do not have all of my faith in you. And that's what God asked for. He asked for all of your faith. I cannot be made righteous by anything that I do because God is too holy. His glory is too high for me to attain. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Your interpretation of that verse is entirely determined on your view of God and his glory. Because if you believe that your works contribute anything to your salvation at all, then God's glory isn't that great. Every other religion says that you have something to do with you being in the presence of the Father and the presence of God. And every other religion says that because their God is not holy. Their God is just close enough for them to reach by their merits. But our God is so holy that we couldn't do it. We fell short of his glory. Your view of how to be righteous is based entirely on your view of God. I want to illustrate, since it's Super, Super Bowl Sunday, I'll use a football illustration. The longest that anybody has ever thrown a football is 80 yards. That's the world record. That's really impressive. The average person probably can't throw 20 yards. So that's a really impressive world record. But nobody can ever or will ever be able to throw a football across the ocean. Now you might think that sounds ridiculous. That's impossible. People can be righteous before God by being a good person, but nobody can throw a football across the ocean. That's, that's comparing apples and oranges. It's impossible. No, being righteous before God is way harder than throwing a football across the ocean. It's way harder. And no one has succeeded except one. And that is Jesus Christ. How holy is God? If God is holy, then faith is the only way that we can be saved because we have fallen short. All fall short of the glory of God. Some people say, well, Jesus... His sacrifice was, was good enough to get us part of the way, but then our own righteousness and following after him, that gets us the rest of the way. Okay, fine. Let's say that's true. Ride a boat out halfway across the ocean and then throw the football. It's still going to land in the water because God is still too holy. You can't make it. Jesus didn't come to get you halfway there. Jesus came to get you all the way there. All the way into the presence of the Father. That's why he says, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm part of the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's it. It's Jesus plus nothing. We all fall short of God's glory. 
So the only way for you to be declared righteous, that's justified before God, is that it has to be a gift. It's not that this is the only way God made possible. It is the only way God made possible. But that's, it's the only way God could have made possible. Because we fell. It had to be a gift for us to be saved. For us to be declared righteous. Verse 24 says, And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's by his grace as a gift. If you have to do something to, do, to get it, if you have to do something to get it, then it's not grace. And if it's not free, then it's not a gift. There's no ordinance that can help you. You could cast out demons. You could prophesy. You could heal people. You could tithe. But there is nothing left for you to pay because Jesus paid it all. He paid all of it on the cross for you. The great accuser stands up and says, Objection! You can't let this criminal go free. A punishment must be suffered for these crimes. It would be unjust to allow this criminal to go free. So their justification cannot be free. And the judge says, objection overruled. Their justification can be free for them because it wasn't free for me. For God so loved that he gave his only son. So that whoever believes, that's faith, in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Salvation is free for you because it wasn't free for Jesus. He paid it all on the cross. He took your place. Jesus, your defense attorney, submits into evidence the old rugged cross where his blood was shed. Verse 25 says, God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That word propitiation is a word that we don't really use very much in our language today. Back then, it was very common, even in other religions, they would use that word propitiation to say, how can we satisfy our gods? How can we satisfy our God or gods? It's polytheism. And the way they did it was through their sacrifices, through their works, through a lot of different things that they did themselves. The Bible says, we want to satisfy God, we can do it through Jesus. God put Jesus forward as a propitiation to satisfy himself. The only thing that has ever satisfied the wrath of God is the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that has ever satisfied the wrath of God. And it was on your behalf. There's this old hymn that says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's justification by faith. We bring nothing to the table. Our hands are empty, but with both of our empty hands, we hold on to the old rugged cross because that is our salvation. Jesus did everything. We couldn't do anything. You couldn't lift up your eyes to heaven to be justified. But thank God, there was a cross on Calvary that was lifted up for you. You could not stretch out a hand for your salvation, but there were some hands on Calvary's hill that were stretched out for you. You cannot move yourself enough to become a new creation. You keep falling to the same sins over and over again. You couldn't move yourself enough to be that new creation. But thank God there's a stone that was rolled away that says that now you can walk, be raised to walk in a newness of life. Jesus did it all. 
When you put your faith in him, your sin goes on him and his righteousness is credited to you. This has always been God's plan of salvation. You look all the way back in the book of Genesis, it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Through faith, we are made righteous before God. It's God's righteousness. It's not our righteousness. I mean, how many times does it say that? Verse 21, now the righteousness of God. Verse 22, the righteousness of God. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness. Verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It's God's. It's God's righteousness. In the courtroom, Jesus places a white robe over your shoulders, signifying his own righteousness. How great is the love of our God that he would take naked, dirty sinners and clothe them with his own righteousness. With his own love and grace. Simply because he loves them, not because they deserved it. There is no other love greater than that. The great accuser, the prosecution... The great accuser at this point is silenced by the cross. Because all of the sins that he brought against you, that we read earlier in verses 9 through 18, all these things that he brought against you don't matter anymore. They're dismissed from evidence. Because it says that it was to show God's righteousness and his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. All of these things that the accuser brought against you have now been passed over because they are covered by the blood of the Lamb. They do not count against you anymore. So when God sees you, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus. He sees his own righteousness. He sees a reflection of himself, which is what God made us to be. The judge slams down his gavel. And declares you to be justified by faith in Christ. This is Paul's conclusion in Romans chapter 3. It's 27 through 31. He says, then what becomes of our boasting is excluded. What do you have to brag about if God did everything? If salvation is by faith, you have nothing to brag about. You have nothing to be righteous about. Christ is righteous for you. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. There's one God over all people groups. Who will justify the circumcised by faith? Those who had the law, kept the law but not perfectly, and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Everyone can be justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Everyone is justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek, everyone who has failed to keep the law, and uphold God's righteous standard, you can now uphold it in the eyes of God and be declared righteous because you put your faith in Jesus who upheld it for you. I shared this recently with someone who believes in a faith plus work salvation and we keep 
going over this, we, I slowly walked him through Romans chapter 3 and said, this is why it has to be by faith. Because it, there's no other way. We fall short of God's glory. That's who God is. It has to be by faith. And it also shows how good God is, that he would give it as a gift to us by faith. How much God loves us. And he said, okay, well, let's say that this is true. Let's say that salvation is by faith. How do I know if my faith is good enough? I'm thinking, you're asking the wrong question. Because you're still bringing it back to yourself. The whole belief of justification by faith is meant to take your eyes off yourself and on Jesus. Because it doesn't matter how good your faith is. Your faith could be really bad. You could just have a tiny little amount of faith. Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. You could have a lot of faith like some people do, or you can have a little faith like most of us. It doesn't matter how good your faith is. What matters is how good is the object of your faith. Because you take your little faith, whether it's a little bit or a lot, you just take all of it and you put it in Christ, and that's enough. And the story is over. You are justified. You are righteous. You are perfected in the eyes of God. Jesus is enough. You and Jesus walk out of the dark, musty courtroom into the sunlight. And you're free. You're a new creation. You ask him what next. He says, follow me. I want you to step out of the story into your chair in church this morning. This story is metaphorical, but it carries spiritual truths. In the afterlife, again, this judgment day is not the afterlife. In the afterlife, there's no opportunity to put your faith in Christ. That opportunity is now. God is showing you now how you need him, how you need to be justified by faith, how you need Jesus. The good news of the gospel is only true for you if you put your faith in Jesus. Most people trust in themselves. Most people represent themselves. And then they remain condemned. They remain condemned. John chapter 3 says, Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. The Son didn't come to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. The world was already condemned. We're already under judgment. We're already under sin. We're already unrighteous. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. Because for those who put their faith in him, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This morning, Jesus asked you a really important question. Do you trust in me to represent you? You've put so much trust in yourself. Maybe you've put trust in others. Maybe you put trust in some other God, some other Jesus, some other religious system. I don't know. The Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus of Romans 3, asked, do you trust in me to represent you? Do you put all of your faith in me? God is so good. God loves you so much that he gives you this as a gift. But you have to receive it by faith. Now is the time to put your faith in Christ. This story was to show that you are currently under condemnation. 
but you could be justified before God. You could be justified before God today. You could be justified before God right now if you put your faith in Jesus to represent you. He took it all for you on the cross. He rose from the grave. He is alive forevermore in the same way you can die, to, you can be dead to your old self, to your sin, and Jesus makes you a new creation, a new person. You have everlasting life. And you're saved. You are justified before God. And now you have an opportunity to respond. Let's bow our heads in the attitude of prayer.